Stan the Fan, along with Craig Heiss. Joining us now is somebody I've gotten to know through one of the investors, original investors in Press Box, a lifelong uh, St. Louis Browns slash Baltimore Orioles fan. That's Barry Blank, but he's introduced me to Ed Wheatley. And Ed, welcome onto the show, the bat around. Thank you, bud. Yeah, glad to be here. All right, that's super. You guys um, are part of the group. Uh, what are they? The are, what is your organization called that still supports the Browns and keeps them alive? Yeah, it's, it's really called the St. Louis Browns Historical Society, but we're also known as the St. Louis Browns Fan Club. But the official name is the St. Louis Browns Historical Society, which was formed in 1984 by Bill Borst. And how many people are part of the St. Louis Browns Historical Society? Is it 575? Yeah, it's just, it's just, just a, a under 500. It you know, fluctuates with new members. Uh, we're receiving a lot of new members with, with the... Uh, release of our new book uh, so we've made a lot of uh, inroads but it, it, it's averages somewhere 450 to 500 you know unfortunately some of the, the guys and who, who belong to it are older and you know they die off and we got to bring in new members yeah i was just going to ask you about the age of the folks that are are part of the uh society and that's uh because i mean let's face it the, the browns moved here in 1954 and uh yeah. i was just wondering from that standpoint what the age group uh, generally is well, you know, when I go around and give my talks, I always give the kind of tagline that, you know, anybody who was alive when the Browns <laughs> were in St. Louis mm. next year will be carrying Medicare cards, and anybody who has a memory of going to the game is going to be in their 70s. But our, our fan club, you know, really, there's only 14 living Browns left, uh, and the youngest is 84. Our fan club, you know, is a lot, was at one time a lot of people in their 60s and 70s and 80s. But what we're finding is, is a new uh, rejuvenation, and that's why we kind of wrote this book to, to reach out, because what we found is all these people saying, you know, the Browns were my dad's favorite team. The Browns were my grandpa's favorite team, and that's all he's talked about. And these people, they know about the Browns as a name, but they really don't know their history, and that's what we, we tried to do. Myself and two other members of the Browns fan club, Bill Borst, who I mentioned before, uh, formed the club, and then Bill Rogers, uh, we put together this history with Bob Costas doing our forward and working with us. Bob's been a member of our fan club as well. Uh, just to take people back and to remember there was this team 52 years in St. Louis, you know, with some great players, some great history. And, you know, some sometimes they weren't so good, too. We're talking with Ed Wheatley. He and Bill Borst and Bill Rogers have written a book called The Story of a Beloved Team, the St. Louis Browns. Craig Heiss got a question for you. Yeah, Ed, let me ask you this, and, and we've seen this down through the years when franchises move. What was the general uh, perception or the general reaction, I guess is a better word, the reaction from the Browns fans, when they knew the team was moving from St. Louis to Baltimore? Well, I mean, and there's still a lot of resentment today, I will tell you that, you know, 64 years later. But what it was was it was kind of a mixed. I mean, the, the Browns and the Cardinals, you know, just like the Philadelphia Athletics and the Philadelphia Phillies and the Boston Braves, Boston Braves, you know, there was always this competition, you know, which team would own the city. You know, a lot of cities weren't big enough. And, you know, in the first two decades, the Browns were the better team. And part of the story, in, inside the story here, is how the Cardinals, you know, and Branch Ricky moved from the Browns to the Cardinals and built a farm system and built a great Cardinal team to the 20s, 30s, and 40s. 
And, you know, they became kind of the sweethearts, so the, the tide shifted from the Browns to, to the Cardinals. But there was this underlying loyalty. Stan Musial even talks about in the 44 World Series where the Browns and Cardinals played each other. He said, we the Cardinals, we've been to the World Series. How many times prior to 44? We were the underdogs. The city was rooting for the Browns. But what really kind of happened was the Cardinals hit a slide in the late 40s and 50s with their ownership. Fred Sy was involved with a tax evasion issue with the federal government, potential jail. The Cardinals also didn't own a stadium. The Browns had always owned Sportsman's Park, and the Cardinals were their tenants. And Bill Veck came to town and, you know, was looking at this opportunity to run the Cardinals out of town. And, you know, he didn't have good players because the Browns always need money. A lot of times they sold off the better players. So there was this kind of two-year tussle to see who could control as the Cardinals were in trouble. Zach thought he could pull this. He didn't, um, you know, have the best team in the field to draw a fan, so he did his kind of circus act with a three-foot, seven-inch pinch hitter, grandstand manager night, and a lot of other antics. And I think that's what soured a lot of taste of people to the Browns, and what's what they unfortunately remembered today, and it's what forced the rest of the American League ownership to force them to sell. I mean, they don't remember George Sisler, the great teams of the 1920s, the Browns fielded and battled with the Yankees Is every it, year. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the tremendous outfield, you know, the, the Browns in the 20s, for five straight years, the same players in the outfield, Kenny Williams, Baby Dow Jacobson, and Johnny Tobin, the only team to ever have five straight guys, I mean, three straight guys, five straight years hit over 300. And they would have done it at six, except Johnny Tobin hit 299 the one year. I mean, to have an outfield that, I mean, a, a, a team that three men hit over 200 hits on the team, not once, but two times consecutively. I mean, there's a lot of history, and people don't remember that. They remember the shenanigans of Bill Vack, and I think that's where the sour taste is, and um, that's how it's remembered. So we're just trying to remember and go back to some of the great times, that, you know, the 15 men who were associated with the Browns that are in the, in the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. Correct so me there's if, a lot of history. Correct me if I'm wrong, but later on then, after the 20s was over, and I, I'm assuming that was pretty much the heyday, uh, but the, the, the team was in a stretch where they struggled. 64 and a half games out of first place, is yeah. that right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. How do you like that? I'm going to the ball and, game. And, and, they think, and they think we've got problems here in Baltimore. <laughs> yeah. 64 and a half games out of first place and 104. In, in uh, 54 game season, or wow, you know, how do you feel like uh, the, the, the time when uh, uh, Ned Garver he won 20 games on a team that lost 100? You know, so what do you think? Oh, who's that's, pitching day? It's not Ned Garver. You think we're going to win? That's like Carlton in '72 with the Phillies. They win 54 I, games, I, and he wins 27 of them. I lived in Atlantic City and got to see about 10 of those games. He was unbelievable. We're talking with we're talking with Ed. We're talking with Ed Wheatley. He's co-authored a book, "The Story of a Beloved Team," the St. Louis Browns. Go ahead. You were saying, Ed. Well, you know, I think that's that's the thing. The Browns were always looking for money. They would get good players, and they would have to trade them to get money. Yeah, they were always you know, underfinanced. Yep, they were underfinanced. They had a lot of ownership changes. One of the Philip Ball was one of the, the the best best owners. He went through that ride through the great teams of the twenties. He died suddenly. The team was kind of put in a holding probate. A bunch of lawyers ran the team. They didn't know how to make good decisions. So, um, so they, how many years you know, did how many years did Bill Vec own the team? Would he come there in about forty eight? No, well, no. In '48, he was with the Indians, Indians and won, right? You know, the American League. 
he came over, you know, at the end of 51. So, you 51. know, he was only a couple of years. Um, the team, you know, like I said, had a whole slew of, of owners. Uh, actually, Bill DeWitt Sr., the father of Bill DeWitt Jr. Mm-hmm. and of, of the Cardinals, his father had been uh, general manager and executive with the Browns for, for many years. He actually bought it in the late 40s. And, um, again, looking for that turnaround, who could come in. And, you know, Bill Veck thought he could run the Cardinals out. And uh, Yeah, he ended up. Anheuser-Busch, Augie Bush came in and said, no, you're not. I got an idea that beer sells in sports venues. And he wanted the, wanted the stadium and he wanted the team. And, you know, he tried to name Sportsman's Park Budweiser Stadium. But the major leagues would not let him, you know, something that today. Yeah, would go. Yeah, they would rush to do that. How much right. money did Bill Vex sell the Browns to Baltimore Interest for? Um, it, it. I let's see if I have it right here. I can't remember the exact number, but I'll, I don't know if I have it right in here. But uh, five hundred thousand know, dollars or a million dollars? No, it was just around a million dollars. I mean, actually, he agreed to sell eighty percent to Clarence Miles for two point four five million. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he sold the, it, the consortium that Clarence Miles uh, had put together. Uh, the 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 members of the St. Louis Browns Historical Society, age wise, mm-hmm. are most of the five hundred people that are in it, or four hundred of the five hundred. Have they actually? Did they actually see the Browns play, or is it a mixed bag of people that have just kind of fallen in love with the history of the team? I think it's a mixed bag. There were, you know, we I would say probably a third. Watched the Browns play. We had a book event the other night, a big author series. We had over 250 people the first night. And, you know, I asked the question how many had seen the Browns play. And I'd say, you know, it's about a third. Mm-hmm. And then I would say it's about well over a third to a half that are, you know, people whose fathers right. um, and grandfathers. And they, so they were understanding the message. And then the others are what I call baseball purists, you know. Okay. We're talking when with. You go to these things, it's like the. Antiques Roadshow, all these people coming yeah. and say, can you look at this and tell me this? I mean, scorecards, autographed baseballs. Who are these guys on this ball? Help mm-hmm. me. Fascinating. So, I mean, there's a lot of culture and a lot of pride in St. Louis about the Browns, but not a very good memory. Is is there a kind of a little bit of a push to try to have the Orioles incorporate some of the history because the Browns, because the Orioles came from St. Louis? That's right. You know, I mean, I always kind of look at the – the, the contrast, I'll call it, and, and I, I had given a little talk. Saber asked me to talk at a conference. And, you know, when you look at the Atlanta Braves, you know they came to via Milwaukee and Boston, and you know they look at records of of Henry Aaron. You know, it's not just let's say a hundred from Atlanta. They, it's Milwaukee and it's Atlanta. You know, Warren mm-hmm. Spahn goes to Milwaukee and Boston, and the, you know the Oakland Athletics. You know, they count all those Connie Mack World Series. Back in in Philadelphia, and when it comes to the to the Browns, you know, if you look at the, let's say pull up Baseball Reference and you look at the top ten categories, <coughs> offense, our pitching of the combined uh, franchise, and got to remember, this team did not originate in St. Louis. When the American League was formed in 1901, it originally was in Milwaukee as the Milwaukee Brewers, and then moved to St. Louis in 1902. So this franchise that's in Baltimore really goes back three cities. But, you know, there's a heavy predominance 
about 40% of the top individual performances are by Browns players in this franchise history. I mean, you know, how many people would say, hey, of this combined franchise, who's the top base dealer? I mean, would anybody recognize George Sifler as the leading base dealer in the franchise? I'd know the name. I wouldn't know. Yeah, yeah wouldn't, 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 wouldn't have, wouldn't have, have guessed that. Stolen yeah. bases, yeah. yeah. So there, there you go. You got a trivia night question. <laughs> All right. uh, Ed, uh, one of the things I read about the book, uh, of course, is Bill Veck uh, was trying a lot of different gimmicks. Uh, can you yeah. tell us a little bit about his signing Satchel Page to come in and pitch for the Browns? How long was was that? Uh, was the process uh, that where Page was a member of the team? He was a member of two years, and he actually was their All Star there, um, representing the Browns in the All Star game. Vec had had uh, Satchel Page in Cleveland, right, and was part of that '48 uh, team that went to the World Series, and he, he pitched. He pitched well for Cleveland. I mean, you know, and when he came to St. Louis, he, he pitched well too. I mean, you know, he was in his late forties. Uh, again, it was kind of a looking for somebody he knew. Satchel wanted to get back into major leagues because of the year before he was just kind of doing his barnstorming tour, and he, he came. And pitch, and it was also another opportunity for. I, I kind of call Vec the P.T. Barnum of baseball in, in the book because of the shenanigans he would pull. And like he had a hammock put out in the uh, bullpen that everybody could see that Satchel would just sit in and lay in, you know, or sometimes <laughs> it, would, it would be a recliner. And I mean, that's the kind of things. But no, the Satchel actually did very well with, with the Browns in his limited. Performances, you know, started a few games, mainly a reliever, but you know, Satchel was still Satchel, and uh, he could hit the marks. But you know, his arm, you know, any old forty-year-old guy, uh, he, he was better than most. The book is the story of a beloved team, the St. Louis Browns. It's written, co-authored by Bill Bortz, Bill Rogers, and our guest Ed Wheatley. Uh, Ed, I've got one last question for you. Sure. Uh, the team, sure. the team moves after the '53 season. How old are you, and how old are Bill Borst and Bill Rogers? And how did the St. Louis Browns Historical Society uh, get together? How did it get formed? How soon after the move? Yeah. Okay, uh, I'm 64. Bill Borst is 74, and Bill Rogers is 80. Okay. Um, I grew up in baseball. My, you know, dad was had played professional baseball. I knew a lot of the Browns growing up because a lot of them stayed in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. When you look at, you know, not many stayed on the team when they got to Baltimore. The the the, the team really, I mean, this, the historical side kind of formed uh, Bill Borst in 1984. He was uh, he's from Brooklyn. He loved Pee Wee Reese. He went to uh, Pee Wee Reese's induction into the Hall of Fame up in Cooperstown, and what he saw was a, a, a Brooklyn Hall of Fame a fan club. I mean, and he kind of said, "Why isn't there a Browns fan club?" I mean, you know, Brooklyn's been gone, you know, for for almost twenty something years, but they're still a fan club. And you know, and the, the Athletics had a fan club in Philadelphia, and the Braves in Boston. A lot of those have all kind of weathered out i guess i would say but he kind of put together and was started as a small group and you know over the next decades it continued to grow we have an annual lunch we have one tuesday uh where we will have ed mickelson and you know very few here's another trivia question everybody remembers don larson as the perfect game pitcher in 1956 
Don Larson started with the St. Louis Browns. He was a rookie mm-hmm. in 1953, and then you know moved there to Baltimore and was part of the Bob Turley Don Larson trade to the Yankees. But but Don will be there, and we had two of our great players, Ned Garber, who I spoke of a moment ago, and Roy Seavers, a St. Louis boy, who was the 1949 Rookie of the Year in the American League. See, now I grew up, I was born in 52 in Washington, D.C., and Roy Seavers was my favorite player on the Senators. You and Richard Nixon, right? When when Roy passed away, there in his living room was the big picture, you know, signed to my favorite baseball player of all time, Richard Nixon. Stan Stan and Nixon were really good friends. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. really good friends. You know, you yeah, can Whitey see... Whitey Herzog is going to do... I got Whitey doing a tribute to both Ned and Roy. Yeah. Because Whitey... Whitey was a teammate of Roy's, yeah. Yeah, yeah he, he, Whitey played with, with Ned on the um, t- uh, Kansas City Athletics, and then he played with, with Roy on the Senators, so it was fitting that he do a tribute at our luncheon. But you know, you know, so we you, have this annual luncheon. You know, you can always see uh, Roy Seavers if you watch the movie Damn Yankees. Joe Hardy, when they would show Joe Hardy from a distance, it was Roy Seavers playing with the center. That's right. Yeah. All right, Ed, we really appreciate your being on with us. We're going to have you on back sometime in November. We'll help push the book. We'll help push the book a little for Christmas sales. Uh, How's the sales going? We only got about 30 seconds. Sales are going great. I mean, we're getting. You know, just people calling. We've been on television here in the local area. The Cardinals have hosted us at some of their events due to the DeWitts, and the DeWitts helped us very much. Right. Uh, the ownership. That's and great. They're going great. great. It's a great book, and I hope you appreciate it. How do people get the, can they get the book? The book is available at any online outlet, you know, Amazon, Google Books, Target, you know, anything you go online, you just pull it up the name of the team. I mean, the book. The Story of a Beloved story Team. Beloved. Yep. And Barnes and Noble has it. You know, most of the big box bookstores have it as well. All right. Thank you very much for joining us, Thank Ed you guys. Weedley. All Talk right. You later. There you have it. Ed Wheatley.